The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Another night of Game 2s to talk about here. Then we got to get to the free agent small forward crop. Let's start in Oakland where Golden State had a harder than it probably should have been, frankly, victory against Houston. Led by 10 throughout most of the game, Houston got back, cut it to three at one point in the fourth with some of the Warriors' backup units on the floor. Then they extended it out with the death lineup and held on late. Chris Paul did have a three that was wide open that could have cut it to three after the Warriors, as they are wont to do, had some terrible turnovers trying to protect the lead late as Houston and went to a trapping defense where do you want to start on this one I think I want to start with the Warriors defense for especially the first quarter I thought that they did a really good job overall Houston ended up with a 116 offensive rating but oh a portion of that was them just hitting a ton of threes I mean we saw in the early going Austin Rivers hit a few he ended up four for six Chris Paul had two and then ended up two for seven and Eric Gordon had a few moments a lot of those different guys but for the most part some of those were conceded but I think a lot of them were were just guys making the shots that the Warriors would theoretically want to concede but they forced a ton of turnovers early I thought that was a really huge swing in this that yeah. Houston and those were those were largely I felt forced turnovers. agreed as well. yeah yeah so it was nine for Houston in the first quarter and I off the top of my head I would say something like six or seven of those would be forced and they six of them were steals so the Warriors had 14 points off those nine turnovers which was about half of what they scored in the first quarter yeah and it felt like it was a nine point warrior lead after the first James Harden was in the locker room he got hit in both eyes and thereafter although I thought he played really well considering the issue uh, was really struggling with the lights he was not happy to be under the lights at, at the press conference podium afterwards Steph Curry also dislocated his middle finger had to get that tape Uh, fortunately for him that was on his left hand uh, as he was going for a strip Uh, he had to sit out and and then return later in the first quarter but I I thought really when you consider how badly Golden State killed Houston on the possession game in the first half especially where they had 16 more true shot attempts when you consider both shots and free throws than the Rockets did in the first half it was only a nine-point warrior lead at halftime then it was only a seven-point lead at the end of the third even though the Warriors led by 15 and had a three that could have made it 18 a wide open three from KD it just seemed like the Warriors were in control with the run of play throughout and while it felt like Houston was dangerous and come back could come back it was really it seemed like the three-point shooting that was keeping them in it and their shot chart again this is to me is the stat of the series if you look at Houston's shot chart 
start before the last three minutes of this game when the Warriors started just conceding layups they wouldn't give up threes that's what Kerr's strategy is late they had 14 shots at the rim through the kind of normal portion of this game and I think they were at 12 in the last game and Houston did not get an abnormal number of free throw attempts only 19 through that portion of the game last game they had some more but not a ridiculous amount so really the three tenets of the Rockets are buckets at the rim the free throw line and the three-point line and so despite third or 16 of 37 43 percent three-point shooting the Rockets only had 94 points through 45 minutes in this game and the Warriors had a 10-point lead at that point before we, we really got into the scramble portion of the game which I, I didn't put as much emphasis on that just because it was really just a, a different kind of defensive and offensive strategy for both teams so Houston just was not able to get it going Harden I thought had some moments in this game but to only have four or six versus six turnovers was a major problem for him and so I think that's the, the biggest issue to me I that Houston just can't score at the level that they're used to scoring in in the regular season against the Warriors another important part of game two was the offensive glass the Warriors ended up with 18 offensive rebounds that gave them a 37 percent offensive rebound percentage and Houston you know no slouches with 10 of their own but that allowed the Warriors to to really dominate the possession game Draymond had four in the first quarter got some big second chance buckets McKinney got two on consecutive possessions one was a tip dunk for him the other I think was a Durant mid-ranger the second time around and so that gave the Warriors a little bit more life as well and they they missed the series of shots that that often go in but getting offensive rebounds you get those chances another way. yeah here, here's a stat for you second chance points Rockets 19 Warriors 18 despite the Warriors nearly doubling up the yeah. actual number of offensive rebounds so the Warriors had a, a few key turnovers a few key misses and it seemed like you know to have 19 second chance points for the Rockets on 10 offensive rebounds I mean 1.9 points per possession is awesome they had a lot of kick out threes Rivers hit, hit a couple of big ones especially in the second quarter to keep it close but again it, it just seemed like the run of play especially when the Warriors had their best lineup out there with, with the death line which they started again at pro- how many minutes did, did that lineup play tonight 24 so half the game 144.6 offensive rating 121.9 defensive ratings that's a plus 22.7 in those 24 minutes just a destructive group and remember they're going against the best lineups for the most part that that Houston has to offer so this is not you know beating up on bench units or anything like that it's just a really dominant group and that 120 that 122 defensive rating is higher than you'd expect but there was some hot shooting in there for Houston and James Harden had some really nice plays as well yeah it seemed like where Houston was able to get back into it a lot of times early first early fourth was when the Warriors went to their bench now the Warriors correct me if I'm wrong I don't think they had a single second in this game without either Steph or KD on the floor and Kerr was very aggressive with the minutes again particularly with KD and in this one he got to 43 minutes and they've got a three-day break now here coming up but Sean Livingston has had a real struggle in the series the Rockets do a great job of not guarding him that there's one notable play where Livingston is on the wing Clay Thompson runs a pick and pop with KD's what would have been wide open but Livingston man man just leaves him there's like three guys standing on the baseline a lot of the times and the Rockets were just running guys at either KD or Steph and they would double team Draymond or Looney would try to make the four on three play but the other three guys for the Warriors basically were Iguodala and Livingston and and then the other of Green or Looney they played Jarebko a little bit.
bit but they just weren't able to get the spacing for those four and threes but then when they went to the death lineup they're able to really just score it seemed like or at least get open looks at will in this game so it's i suppose it's good for houston not a deep team themselves that they're able to do better against the bench units because their bench is also pretty limited but nonetheless that really is not enough when they're just not coming close to winning on either end against the starters and and to me so much of that has been Draymond green the we saw for example early fourth quarter with Draymond out of the game the Warriors have a plenty of shooting on the floor but James Harden is able to get past Kevon Looney in an ISO and just get right to the rim and lay the ball in because there isn't the level of help available when Draymond is out there or Draymond's not going to give up a, a blow by if he's the guy on the switch so really is and I think Draymond has been the second best player for the Warriors in this series uh, behind KD and I think there's an argument to be made that Draymond has been the most valuable because nobody else in this team can really do what he does and this game wasn't as ridiculous in terms of him preventing the Harden Capella lobs they got a they got a couple of opportunities but he he's just so huge in terms of changing what the Rockets want to do getting out on defenders and deflecting passes you know all, all those sorts of things as well I thought that the Drebko inclusion was was notable as well because he was the guy that Kerr went to when Curry got hurt so it was only a couple minutes that Curry was off the floor at that point I mean we had no idea I mean there were those little images that were floating around that maybe looked like it was a more severe injury they did an x-ray it was fine and he ended up playing and and you could see the ill effects periodically like he was shaky with his dribble with his left hand a couple of times and missed a couple of shots that you would you might think oh and he's still you know 20 points on 16 shots I believe it would be 18 shooting possessions and so not a bad game by any means but not you know the the kind of dominant performance that he can have at times and Jarebko I thought those were his best minutes you know that little stretch he had a tip dunk he was active had a couple different plays but then he stayed in in some of those second unit minutes he was on the floor they're they're really tweaking around with those lineups now that Durant is basically full-time in that group other than when Curry is in foul trouble and then plays with that group instead of the close of the third so how they balance McKinney and Jarebko it's not going to define this series but it is interesting all the same and along those lines I thought an important part of this game was Houston getting a ton of offensive rebounds at the beginning of the second quarter that and that was when Kenneth Fareed and Kevon Looney were both out there on the floor now those were not the only two players that were involved in the offensive rebound extravaganza but in that quarter Kerr ended up taking out Looney for a Bogut that was the only time Bogut played and then when it got to the second half Fareed was out and Looney stayed in and I thought that was interesting yeah the rotations are always interesting I think they wanted to get a little more shooting on the floor I thought Houston did a poor job of attacking Jerebko I actually don't recall a single time that they actually were able to successfully isolate on him and a big part of that is that the Warriors are just the best in the NBA at avoiding you isoing the guy that you want to iso and especially with Houston they're just very limited in terms of the ways in which they're able to do that and part of that is because they're trying to get it up top where it's just you're so far away from being able to attack that they're able to switch around behind the play you got to have someone very obviously run up there so you can do the switch at that point there's also room for guys to recover and I, and I thought that the Warriors I'd be very interested to find out how it was exactly that they are doing this my suspicion is just that the Warriors are so smart and have it so well drilled that it's just the players who react when they want to and a lot of times the big maybe it's Draymond it will switch it up and they'll they'll 
they'll just double team every now and then when Iguodala who was guarding Harden much of the way was able to get through the screen no matter who was setting it, he would just try and get through and then if he couldn't then they would switch it you know so if they weren't getting a good enough screen or they're just trying to slip it they just weren't getting the switch to begin with it and Harden did have one ankle breaker on Iguodala at the end of the second quarter but other than that didn't really have much success going at him they kept Curry out of it pretty well I'm not sure that they scored I mean they may have drawn a foul or two but I don't think they just had a play where they just beat Curry uh, for a bucket that I can recall can you recall any of those there I thought they were really able to stay out of that matchup and when it was Curry he did a pretty decent job despite yeah I I don't recall it there there were there was one where he fouled and so it probably would have become a bucket but generally speaking also a lot of Curry's fouls came off ball so you have that one other thing I wanted to mention just before we get on is I love Eric Gordon's drive game he hit a couple of important threes when the Rockets were kind of keeping themselves in the game but he's so strong and it wasn't as as extreme as some of the like great drives that he had in game one but I, I do think that's an added element that he brings to this Rockets attack being in the starting five playing serious minutes he played 36 in this one and not a perfect player but someone I really really like as a complimentary piece to what they have going yeah and you wonder maybe if he's someone that they might try to go to a little bit more I mean he, a lot of his attacks are opportunity scramble defense transition kind of plays you know I'm not sure if he's because the Warriors again they're switching everything so I don't know if you want him isolating necessarily there's not really a way for him to attack it in a conventional pick and roll so whether his usage could be increased or not I'm not really sure you know he doesn't really have a great pull-up game off the dribble it's kind of either shoot the three right when he gets it or go all the way to the rim so I don't know if there's a way to give him more responsibility took 13 shots in this game another big problem is that despite the fact Clint Capella had a solid game for him at times he had four offensive rebounds had a couple of blocks it ended up fouling out late when Chris Paul was trying to get him to just go trap and he just went and fouled Steph Curry with 40 seconds left and Houston down six at that point it still seemed that D'Antoni did not trust him to be on the floor at the end and when they let Trevor Ariza go it really was Capella that they needed to be their fifth guy and yeah he played 33 minutes he had 14 points but to me it's not been quite the same impact athletically he's been better than the start of the year but not the same as he was last year and they haven't really been able to get the lob game going to him either in part just because Draymond is so incredibly intelligent and then they also the Warriors just have great guys who can crash down on the backside we talked about this in the Jazz series where the Warriors just don't have to make as many hard choices because they have guys who can cover two people at once they have guys who can crash down and Capella be in position where if they lob it up those guys can run in from the backside and either make a play on Capella and knock it away you know Clay had a couple of plays like that or still close out to the corner and not just have it be a wide wide open PJ Tucker three the way it was for the Jazz the Jazz had Gobert but if Gobert committed to one spot then either the corner or the lob was going to be open whereas the Warriors just have a lot more athletes who can cover that um you mentioned they went to Fareed oddly for five minutes I mean maybe the thought was hey we can't score and he's a better offensive player than some of these guys and he actually was plus two 
uh, but then didn't come in in the second half and he got really cooked in isolation by Curry in particular. Daniel House was reduced to five minutes in this game. He was negative 11 in those five minutes. D'Antoni was screaming at him. You never see D'Antoni this upset for not rebounding and House is very athletic but just wasn't doing that and then KD was is gonna just his eyes get like saucers anytime House is guarding him in the post. Austin Rivers had a nice game with 14 points on four of six from downtown but did did have three turnovers and you know he's not the most reliable shooter he does give them another playmaking element and he certainly was better than house or gerald green on this side shumpert oh for four on threes i don't think he was even close i want want to talk a little bit more about shumpert because this is just so weird he played one four minute and 32 minute stint in the first quarter he took four shots missed all four of them at least three of them were bad misses but they were plus five in those minutes like you just don't see that very often where a guy takes that many shots misses that many shots but they still ended up getting buckets and some of that was offensive rebounds and the Warriors you know and I think that was when Austin Rivers hit a couple as well but I was just I, I was dumbfounded kind of by when I saw that he was plus five because I remember how bad his minutes looked and I wasn't surprised when Shumper did not come back in the game but it's like oh okay Chris Paul had some moments keeping them in it he had to go 40 minutes which is more than they want to play but Harden only was able to get to 34 because he missed so much time as they're trying to kind of uh, fix his eyes uh, back in the locker room and it hit a couple of tough threes but then you know he missed the biggest shot of the game laid a wide open three and four turnovers Paul rarely will turn it over but it's just it's really difficult for him to create a ton of separation against this group and he just gets stuck in areas where he just doesn't have anywhere to go with the ball and ends up having to just throw a hopeful pass that a lot of times is getting intercepted see if I got anything else here well something I wanted to mention Kevin Durant only took one shot in the restricted area he took a bunch of floaters did get to the line 10 times some of those were getting fouled on both jump shots and getting fouled on what would have been a non-shooting foul but the Warriors were in the bonus and but I thought I thought he had a, a, a nice offensive night and also had a better defensive night I would say than than in game one so he he has been a huge part of the series for sure yeah it was interesting they were going with Harden uh with Tucker in foul trouble a lot of the night they actually went with Harden in the second half on KD and KD was actually getting the switch to go at Capella in or Gerald Green down the end rather than Harden which I thought was interesting he tried to post up Harden a couple of times didn't really try to cook him at, uh, on the up top I so that's that's the Warriors went more to down the end when the Rockets really couldn't get stops uh, until they went to the trap later on Nene only played four minutes in this one despite what I thought was a pretty effective performance in the first game uh it looked like it was just going to get totally blown open in the third and then the Warriors actually couldn't score in the last 414 of the third but Houston only put up eight points during that time themselves and it was that was the KD only minutes with Steph once again in foul trouble and KD was just throwing it to guys for corner threes that Draymond McKinney like that they just couldn't make uh or trying to lob it to Livingston and he and there just wasn't any spacing in there um but I mean Curry's really going with the death lineup for 12 minutes a half you know and so when you're trying to get guys uh, enough rest and especially too with Curry only playing 33 minutes and Iguodala he played 34 last game 32 this game but they're gonna try not to they don't have Iguodala out there with those bench units stabilizing them as much 
watch. You know, he only played eight minutes that wasn't part of that starting group, but Iguodala is plus 17. And so if they win those minutes enough and then can just hold on with the other group, um, anything that you think that these teams might try differently as the series shifts to Houston on Saturday night, which we'll be doing the NBA cast for, by the way? Nene is a better option than Freed for me. I mean, I'm sure there's an appeal with the idea of going offense first, but I think he's the best option. And Rivers had a nice game, but I, and, and I think that he deserves to have the lion's share of the second unit minutes. But I, I feel like they they need to roll a little bit with House, I, I House Joe Green, you know, somebody in that group, because yanking them around and being as inconsistent, I, I understand it because they can do things that are frustrating. But I don't know. I, I think that having a little bit more consistency with when those guys play could be useful for them. Yeah, well, D'Antoni played, I mean, I can't remember the last time Mike D'Antoni played 11 <laughs> guys in a competitive playoff game. I mean, he's looking for anyone who can give them a spark and there's none of those guys could deliver and without Ariza and they already were at an athleticism deficit against the Warriors last year but remember Andre Iguodala was pretty creaky last year and then he didn't play in the last four games of the series and I think while it definitely really hurt the Rockets to not have Chris Paul last year and and maybe the series is different it's forgotten because of that Paul injury that the Warriors had two blowouts in three games against the Rockets when Iguodala was healthy last year and you know they had to play Nick Young last year Jordan Bell I mean so to give Nick Young and Jordan Bell's minutes to Andre Iguodala this year is just such an upgrade especially how good Iguodala is I mean he is leading the postseason in dunks I think he's got 19 dunks so far and a lot of those are off that Draymond pick and roll where they they end up double teaming uh but and he's a a great transition player he guards uh, James Harden as good as just about anybody like he's just still amazingly at age 35 a really really good player and for them to be able to put that five-man group out there which is probably the best five-man lineup of all time I would say is just such an advantage and we've seen the Warriors be the less athletic team before you know against the Thunder in 2016 in particular when Durant was on that team of course you know there are other teams maybe the Raptors or the Bucks that could give them some problems with the athleticism the Warriors are by far the more athletic team in this series and not only the more athletic but for a team that goes small by far the longer and taller team as well every player on Houston other than Capella is undersized for their position even Capella is a little bit light in the shorts too so yeah Houston has these thick guys like they're kind of difficult to post up but none of them are really great rebounders and so guys like and then their best rebounders are stuck away from the rim and that's been a problem for the Rockets all year so I don't see that change that much and I thought the Warriors would win this game comfortably Uh, it was a little bit less comfortable just because the Warriors shooting was bad and the Rockets was good but I think you know the Warriors played well enough throughout most of this game that I felt like this really you know was more like a 15 to 20 point type of Warriors win in terms of just the way that these two teams actually played tonight so I'm not sure what Houston can do shifting it here I think that they some of the recommendations that I had last game that they didn't really do maybe Harden will play better at home maybe that step back will go down but that step back's a lot harder when he doesn't have the good matchup and they're struggling to create that he's generally going against a guy who has more length than he does and a lot of times he's been able to get the matchup this year and shoot over the top of guys on that step back who are either going to follow him because they have to overcommit to the contest or he's just able to shoot right over the top and then the Warriors just don't have that many of those guys and it, yeah big surprise you know the most talented team of, of all time is really hard to match up against it'd be nice for the Rockets if they had a Trevor Ariza type or maybe they had traded for another two-way wing with that first rounder but instead they 
they got a kind of fringy rotation guy in Jumper. They probably and, thought he would be a bigger part than he is. But and, and remember, they never used their full, not the full, but the taxpayer mid-level either. They yeah. split parts of it off for like Hartenstein and other stuff, but they didn't they didn't get a real contributor with that either. Yeah, So and now that's the, that really is hurting them to be sure. And I think Maury, with the constraints that he was dealt, did a pretty damn good job to get guys who were able to contribute that well in the regular season. But you know, it, it is interesting. We thought maybe this could be a revenge series for House, and no, that's not been the case. The Warriors have killed him and he he was you know really good against the jazz in the first round and really good down the end of the season i think there was hope that he would be able to be a three and d contributor and he just can't hold up defensively and he just he isn't playing hard enough see if i got anything else here i'll just mention that chris paul nutmegged kevon looney and i hope that always amuses me yeah and then immediately shot it off, <laughs> off the, the, side backboard. Of the backboard <laughs> yeah that did happen though he did get his own offensive rebound and scored after that so yeah, he, he I mean, ruined I, his I, own does highlight it even count as a rebound if it bounces off the side of the backboard is that just like a loose ball <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, if it I, counts as a missed shot i believe it does count as a rebound yeah no i i, I, I you're being facetious yeah uh so it's i mean it's really the stuff that houston is struggling with it's systemic it's getting into the sets earlier it's running more it's being better at setting screens just running their sets with more alacrity all that kind of execution stuff the team just doesn't really execute that well and d'antoni he tries you know he really does try he comes out of a timeout it, they can get some good looks there one of their real pet actions the 21 stuff where harden sprints out of the corner and gets middle when you can switch everything that's really you know pretty much useless to them well what do you think happens the rest of the series i wouldn't be shocked if houston won both of their home games but this has the feel to me of a five gamer you know whether it's whether it's i think it'd be more likely than that houston would win game three than game four they pull one they they have enough talent to, to win i mean they they got closer in certain parts of both the games at oracle but i think the warriors are a meaningfully more talented team when they play their best players when they can stay on the floor and remember that 24 minutes that probably that could have gone even higher if maybe if curry hadn't gotten in foul trouble some of the other stuff so i think they'll win one they're they're a, more than a good enough team to do so and then but i think this this series is it it's not over but i think we have a pretty damn good idea who's going to win it so it's really more a question of whether it's five six or seven yeah obviously there could always be a game-changing injury we thought absolutely twice thought it could nearly happen had, had happened in the series i mean if, the, if steph curry has a broken finger you know I, I mean i would presume that he wouldn't be able to play with that even if it's a, on his left hand and, and hopefully harden will be recovered by the weekend it sort of feels like the warriors will come out and really want to put their foot on the throats of houston in game three and then like let up in game four and houston wins that one and then it's actually ends up being like a close game five um but yeah i I don't know what's going to happen here in game three you would think okay the warriors gotta have or or the rockets gotta have that one just crazy barrage shooting game from deep but they had that today the 43 percent from downtown on pretty good volume and that didn't really come that close to getting it done i i look back again where i really think game one was the missed opportunity with the 20 warriors turnovers tonight the Warriors only I think had four turnovers in the first half and they had probably like three or four in the last three minutes of the game that were just absolutely asinine terrible turnovers uh but you know they were for the the before Houston just started trapping their under 10 turnovers and if the Warriors don't turn over they're just gonna score really well uh, against this team it did not look and this is over a 120 offensive rating for the Warriors even with their foibles down the end and even with 11 out of 36 three-point shooting three out of 13 from Curry I will talk 
Boston, Milwaukee. But first, Mother's Day is coming up. There's nothing that we wouldn't do to make sure the special moms in our lives are happy. Sherry's Berries has special Mother's Day berries designed just for mom. They're topped with chocolate chips, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. I just got mine sent to me. My wife, of course, quite enjoyed them. These strawberries are just enormous. I don't know where they get these things, but they are huge. I mean, this it takes like five bites to finish one of these things when you've got the chocolate cover. It comes refrigerated, so they're really fresh. When they arrive, you choose your delivery date to ensure that your mom gets your gift of Sherry's Berries exactly when you want her to. And of course, your satisfaction is always guaranteed. So don't wait until the last minute on this one. It's May 1st right now as I'm recording this. You could just go do this right now and then you just be done for Mother's Day. You don't have to stress out about it anymore. Go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com today to order your freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 for the mom or mom in your life. You can double the number of berries for just $10 more should you so choose. I know that all of you are very responsible and are well aware of this but just to reiterate mother's day is sunday may 12th so try it berries.com click on that microphone in the upper right hand corner enter that familiar cap space code don't forget that at berries.com cap space code to let them know that you came from us so milwaukee righted the ship in a big way they led by only four at halftime and it was one of those games and there were many of these and bucks fans will remember this well in last year's playoffs where it seemed like boston should be getting killed and yet they would hang around and hang around and then in the second half make a run and be there at the end and with the stevens magic and some crazy shot making steal it you thought we we thought it might be headed that way and then the bucks went on a 24 to 2 run to end the game in the third quarter yeah and i i thought that there were some important developments in this game from milwaukee's perspective on both ends of the floor but one of the big ones was just hitting shots. I mean, you could go through numerous guys on this roster, but I'll start with Chris Middleton. Middleton going seven for 10 from three, Bucks overall 20 of 47. And when they can do well in the possession game or even break even in the possession game and hit shots like that, get to the free throw line, even if the defense has some imperfections and it was great in the third quarter, they can survive it. And then they were able to, to build upon that and, and really take this game over. Yeah, Boston was actually happy having a pretty nice offensive night until they were outscored 39 to 18 in the third and they scored only two points in the last seven minutes of the third quarter and really just were not getting to the basket at all during that time give you their stats for that period that 24 to 2 bucks run one for 11 from the field oh four from three their one make during that time was actually a tip in took five twos uh, away from the rim and they also coughed it up six times and obviously the bucks when they're able to get into transition with Giannis, that is when they are totally deadly Giannis hit a couple of threes during the run one over a Horford and one over Baines both of those uh, off the dribble he was able to get to the foul line a ton ended up 13 of 18 from the foul line I thought overall the Bucks got a lot more calls than they did in game one of just the Celtics putting their hands on them on the drive I, I think we mentioned that after game one that that would be if we were running the Bucks that that would be what would be on our tape to the league after game one is here's all these times these guys are putting their forearm on our, our guys Giannis in particular when they're driving Eric Bledsoe was awesome on both ends 21 points three of five from downtown seven to 12 overall he had five assists as well the bucks i thought passed it a little better 
in this game i still think the celtics to some degree are exposing that they are not an amazing passing team but it was funny there was a lot of sequences where i would see Giannis or bledsoe would drive get double teamed miss the obvious open guy but then they'd swing it around and get a good end up getting a good shot later in the possession anyway just because they had that level of spacing and that level of gravity with some of their players um i've rambled on for a while here what else you got on this game i'm still trying to figure out where kind of kind of where this goes if malcolm brogdon is unavailable or limited in terms of the support guys but even though he got in early foul trouble i still like miritich as that kind of short-term option they did get some some good minutes some very good minutes at moments from george hill also that the three that he had at the end of the at the end of the first half was awesome i called it pull up three yeah you corrected me i said it was like a throwback george hill but as you noted and this is true george hill didn't have that that three in his arsenal you know going back to even his san antonio days or his his indiana days and didn't really love sterling brown Connaughton had a had a good plus minus he got a ton of rebounds i still don't see you know like a conference finals type of player in him you know if need be then you can you can get a little bit more from him so getting brogdon back and hopefully that's going to happen in the near term that would be very important for them and to have an, an effective offensive game brooke lopez had, had some moments but i i didn't think he was as big of a force as i I expected in yeah, a game he was, that he was negative 12 in yeah. a game they won by 21 i know I, I was very surprised by that and i mean and so and, and Giannis pulling and making a couple of threes you know in that in that kind of to close off that run that i don't think that shot is going to be definitive for him this season yeah but you're he's, just, five, he's five and nine in the series yeah so i mean you're kind of sitting there going well you know he's more confident in it now definitely than he was earlier i think feldman had the stat about how this is the the first time since 2016 that he's had multiple made threes in three consecutive games it's only the second time in his entire career and not going to be the reason the bucks you know win or lose the title this year but he's still young and you think about where where that game could be going if he can get if he can get that weakness a little bit yeah. stronger it'd be it's incredible well that's the antidote to the guard him with the center strategy because if you actually have to guard him out there off the dribble now he's just going to be able to blow by that guy you, the hey we'll kind of wait back in the lane and like try to time out his euro step and uh, be big and bump him off and, and contest him at the rim like uh, then that doesn't work anymore if he can make that shot uh, off the dribble bucks defense was much better they did more switching in one through four and even if they absolutely had to at times one through five they were determined not to just let the celtics get wide open jump shots which is what they got in game one and certainly the celtics no matter how wide open they were shooting 49 percent on twos outside the or sorry 59 percent on twos outside the restricted area in game one was not going to continue but that went the other way in a big way through three quarters again 16 shots at the rim for boston they are not known for their ability to get there the foul line only 14 free throw attempts zero for Kyrie irving who had a nightmare game and then get this seven out of 27 on twos away from the rim and but you know those weren't open shots Kyrie wasn't getting the same quality of looks he struggled with 0 for 5 in floater range and only one out of four on two point jumpers and then one of five from three four of 17 
overall was uh, atrocious. Well, and I think you connect that as well with Jason Tatum. I mean, Boston oh, had to run. Boston had to run more ISO, and the guys that you would think of as being their ISO players really did struggle. Tatum was two for ten from the field. He only took two mid rangers, missed both those. He was zero for four on what I would consider jump shots. Just a, a rough, rough night from him. He had, you know, he had a couple defensive moments, but not a good night for him. No, and he's been really bad in the series. And Locke had this stat that of players who had more than 100 ISO possessions this year, Tatum ranked 95th out of 95 such players in efficiency on isolation. That's not what was supposed to happen for him this year. So he has not really been effective there. He doesn't have the ability to get into the lane and draw fouls in those situations. It's all the long two, and he hasn't been able to hit that as well. The Bucks were more aggressive helping early also. Uh, and But nonetheless, they also were flying around more towards shooters. I thought Giannis had a much better defensive game. Bledsoe had a much better defensive game as well. Brooke Lopez it was more mobile. He wasn't just camped out at the basket. He got out on the floor a, a little bit more in his minutes. And those wide open pick and pops for Horford really were not there. And I, I think an, another key stat here, because what we said, right, is, well, the Bucks are just going to give up a ton of three-pointers to the Celtics, right? That's what they did in, the, in that first game when they were 24 out of 55 in the regular season. The Bucks give up a lot of above the break threes. Well, during the competitive portion of the game, first three quarters, they only gave up 23 three-point attempts and they got up 47 themselves. And Boston didn't shoot them horribly. They actually were at 36% on threes in the half court, eight out of 22. And when I say in the half court, I mean like non-heaved. Uh, so it was just much better for from the Bucks in this game. You figured they were going to come out and really kill them. Brogdon's availability, it seems like he's trending in the right direction to maybe be able to play in game three you imagine he'll be uh, on a minutes limit but even if he can give them 25 minutes that would certainly be a boon for them to give them one more guy who can drive to the basket defend on the perimeter i mean this may have been the worst playoff game of Kyrie's career too he only had four assists three turnovers he's usually a low turnover guy horford had five turnovers uh even though he shot it okay on those three pointers he only got up five of those how are you feeling as the series shifts now to boston boston will play better i think milwaukee will probably take a step down but my vision of this is still a long series and it's a long series that could go either direction i picked bucks and six but i mean i bounced between bucks and six bucks and seven and celtics and seven i still think milwaukee i think they're the favorites at this point but boston always had a clear case i mean game one i called it proof of concept that's really what it was they can and very well could win the series they could win both the games at home i'm i'm excited to see where it goes though yeah, and I thought Bud, he made the adjustments both de- defensively. I thought also what they did on offense, it was more pick and roll for Bledsoe. It was more Giannis handling the ball. They ran a lot more 4-5 pick and rolls. Remember the, the matchups were either Horford or Baines on Giannis. And especially when it was Horford, they would have the five-man Lopez come and screen, get the switch with Morris, and then Giannis could go into his drive attack game and not have to worry about the on-ball guy blocking his shot. The way Horford did I thought when he did try to go right at Horford Horford was still pretty good in this game amazingly still only had one foul uh they ran some other stuff too just off ball screens again to try and get Giannis a better match I mean one that stuck out to me in that third quarter run was they had Bledsoe screen Giannis to the free throw line and then Giannis curled into the lane Bledsoe popped out and that left him with the what would have been an open three they closed out and then he throws it to Middleton wide open the corner I also thought Kyrie especially in that third quarter was really 
really bad defensively a lot of bad gambles not the same type of effort closing out i think that applied to all of the celtics where they just were not like shot out of a cannon closing out on guys the way they were in game one i mean again to give up 47 three-point attempts to 28 for the celtics i'm sorry i misspoke the 47 for the bucks was over the the full game through three yeah, quarters it, which i was talking about it was about 35 before. to 23 in, in the first three quarters okay that's still a massive advantage in the bucks uh, were right at 50 percent of those so uh, boston will shoot better they'll get better looks that they're going to adjust but i think to get Giannis going 29 points and the 18 free throw attempts still would like to see more assists from him. i still think the bucks were missing passes sterling braun you we mentioned that he played very little 13 minutes and he was actually negative 12 some of that was a uh, garbage time he's questionable with the back spasms they went with miritich who i still think is important as far as spacing the floor he also had three steals and a block in this game i think getting a little bit more help oriented of a defender helped them as well they did try a couple of lopez post-ups those didn't really go anywhere it, it does seem like lopez may not be a part of their best unit in this series having a matchup with horford and that's fine maybe you try and bring him back when it's more baines out there boston still i don't think they've played a single minute in this series with baines and horford together that's a lineup that has definitely been very good for them defensively and maybe that's something they can do to get a little more rim protection out there give a little more versatility take away that four or five pick and roll and letting the bucks get the matchup but one of those two guys would have have to guard a shooter and the other one would guard yeah i also thought baines just didn't quite have the same lateral mobility after the ankle sprain he was negative 19 in 10 minutes i still want to just see more high pick and roll for kyrie irving set way above the three-point line for the celtics especially when lopez is in the game and let kyrie walk into that three-pointer from way above above the circle force lopez out on the floor try to get in behind him i don't know what else you can do to get tatum going maybe he's just not that good certainly the Celtics need to do a better job at Middleton I mean he got a ton of open corner threes in this game a lot of those in transition the Celtics transition defense wasn't nearly as good in this game either I thought the Bucks did a better job of getting guys ahead of Giannis and sprinting to the corners filling the corners so that the Celtics just flattening out and building a wall at the free throw line wasn't as viable I thought Lopez in particular too did a nice job of getting down there on offense in those semi-transition situations so I, I think you know boston if they're gonna win the series i always say it you know unless you're a team like the warriors if you're the road team you better be up 3-1 because uh, then you're stuck trying to win two of the last three with two of the last three in the other team's building and the bucks seem to have gotten over their first game just now I, I, hopefully we will see a close game in this series that would be nice all right we got to get to the shooting guards here but first this from goat.com sadly the player that some are starting to think is the goat although that legacy took a little bit of a hit this year without making the playoffs that lebron james he's not involved anymore it does it is kind of a bummer that he's not there but the goat of buying sneakers goat.com is at your beck and call whenever you want the big problem with buying sneakers online is there's more than a coin flips chance that the shoe you're looking at is fake but at goat.com the largest marketplace in the world for authentic yeezys jordans and over 600,000 sneaker listing you can take advantage of the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online the whole process is for frictionless they accept sellers with the best reputation and then they verify all sneakers the way it works is these sellers ship it to goat and they inspect every detail the stitching the color the size and weight they have experts that can tell you exactly how a pair of jordans is supposed to smell they know that every pair of sneakers on the site is going to match exact factory specifications and you're not going to find better prices for verified 
100% authentic sneakers anywhere else. The way to get started with them, goat.com, G-O-A-T, you know how it's spelled, goat.com slash cap space. Go right now before the sneakers you want are gone. Although I do suspect that you'll find some other awesome ones. That I was, when I was shopping on there, I, I got a pair of uh, Kamikaze 2, which is what Sean Kemp used to wear back in the day. Pretty nice colorway. That's what they call it, right? Colorway. I was just struggling to find which sneaker I, I wanted to get. It was really an insane selection there. So once again, goat.com. And don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. All right, pre-recording this now. We don't know what happened in tonight's games, but we got to talk about the free agent small forward crop. And that, of course, starts with the two best players available in free agency this season. Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, both of them have player options, which they will certainly be declining. KD, age 30. Kawhi, age 28. And this is something you've mentioned before before but those two guys are if they do leave their present homes in golden state and toronto that's going to reduce the available free agent money for everyone else because those teams won't have a max salary spot to replace them and they will of course take one up with as rumored the knicks and the clippers it'll also be the first time i think one of the differences between these two guys first time Kawhi leonard hits unrestricted free agency that third contract is is oftentimes clarifying for what a player values most. That might not be more apparent than in Kawhi's case because the situation he is in right now is pretty damn good. I mean, the Raptors are very talented. We'll, we'll see how they feel after the end of these playoffs, but they've they've been one of the best teams in the league this entire year, despite being very cautious with Kawhi. And, and that, you know, obviously the more he's on the court, the better the Raptors would have been. And he could go to the Clippers. He could go really wherever he wants. I mean, both of these players are good enough and where you move things around if if for whatever reason they want what you what you are bringing to the table it doesn't matter you move heaven and earth to make it happen and i don't know what kind of meetings they're going to take and this year to be frank there are so many teams that have cap space and so many teams in major markets that i don't think there need to be those crazy gymnastics of take a team with a meeting and then say can you figure this out because not only is their holdover their their prior team so good but you know the knicks the nets the the lakers and the clippers if they want a major market they can go there and any other team as i said they'll make it happen we can move down now into the star tier of players and the star tier of players is usually the one that gets the most overpaid on some of these crazy contracts in free agency and jimmy butler's situation he does have a player option he's gonna almost certainly opt out he's 29 but with a lot of miles on those tires chris middleton also player option at 27 he's gonna opt out as well he's benefiting from only having had a three-year contract at the start of his career because he wasn't a first round pick so he actually hits free agency sooner you think there's a max offer out there for jimmy butler like full max four years at 146 million dollars i'm guessing there is especially because there are more teams significantly more teams with cap space then there are max level free agents if we're counting him in that group. And so I think someone's going to get desperate. Now, can he get the like full three plus one, you know, all the bells and whistles that the best of the best demand, you know, like the Gordon Hayward contract would probably be the analog here. That maybe not, but there are so many teams that are just starved for talent. And I, I could imagine it happening. Like, I think Brooklyn's a good example here. I think he would make the Nets I mean, on, on the court, at least. Like, I mean, we, his off-the-court stuff is a little, would, be un, would be different with that team. But talented can help give them, kind of take advantage of some of the opportunities they create. I, 
his defense, it, to me, isn't where it was in his best years in Chicago, but he still can provide value on that end. And Brooklyn could use a player like him, and this is really their opportunity. So if the best players say no, they could theoretically roll the space over to 2020, but that would be a little, it will be easier said than done. And there's no guarantee they're going to get somebody better than Jimmy Butler then. Yeah, the 2020 free agency is not good, although we could see that added to. Well, and something interesting, you brought up the, is there a max contract offer for Jimmy Butler? His negotiations with Philly are fascinating too, because do they, what price do they want him back at? You know, the, the elements of a fifth year versus a fourth year. It's, it's a, it's a complicated situation made even more fraught because of the Tobias Harris situation. And so they're, depending on how much ownership is willing to spend, not only in the near term, but in the long term, they they could go really expensive here. That would allow them to use to use bird rights, early bird rights to retain J.J. Redick if they want to go that way. But they could also clear cap space. And theoretically, if Philadelphia wants somebody else, if the right person is interested, they could do that as well. Yeah. And what happens in this series with Toronto too? Do they really want to pay that much to bring back this team if they lose in five or six games and it's not really close against Toronto? So much of that determines Philly's situation. And yeah, that's going to be a really bad contract making 40 million in the fourth year. If he gets the full max, maybe it's the type of thing where it'd be like half guaranteed on the last year or something. You would want to get that. But then, as you said, the 2020 free agent class is not good. And there are a lot of teams that could use Jimmy Butler. The three is a very limited position so for example sacramento with 37 million dollars in room right they really have a mandate to take the next step forward right now vladi divat said oh i thought we could have been even better and that's part of why he moved on from dave yeager so they certainly i mean what are they doing with their space right i mean they, they want to take a step forward they'll probably make the playoffs next year if they get butler and yeah, he, he ages out a little bit, but you know, at least he's got a decent body. Hopefully he can play enough that uh, he can still provide competent defense on the wing and some shooting as he ages. The Knicks or Lakers, you could see maybe as a possible second banana in New York or in LA, who else are they going to get besides Butler? A lot of pressure, of course, uh, on them. Clippers doesn't seem like the direction they would necessarily go if they miss out uh, on Kawhi. You could see them maybe making him an offer though as, as the second guy again if they're because it really for them it it makes a lot of sense because he's probably close to worth it the first year and so now you're trying to compete already how well he would get along with everyone you you never know indiana absolutely you would think would make that offer rather than trying to bring back bogdanovich and that young they they've actually they would still have bogdanovich's hold they've got 31 million in room in indiana with his hold and they could get to that max offer pretty easily dallas don't necessarily see them going there brooklyn you mentioned i'm skeptical that they w- would go there i think they're trying to build a little bit more for the long term but once again you what, are they, what else are they do it with the space you know and, and atlanta i wouldn't see them going in that direction but it just it seems like there are enough teams there are a few enough candidates for that money available that the offer if not at the max close to the max is going to materialize maybe if he wants to play for a better team they'll try to hold that over his head and the offer will be a little bit less but you know it's really hard for me to see it being less than you know 120 million guaranteed something like that just because there are so many teams and he's he plays the wing and i still i you know i like him better as a free agent than kemba walker you know i think if you look at just the hierarchy of all the positions he's probably he's behind kd and Kawhi. obviously he's behind clay he's behind Kyrie, and then it starts to get to eye of the beholder al horford if he opts out tobias harris is younger but not as good as butler to me kemba walker you know he's right in that range so i eye of the beholder maybe teams are just like oh his injury 
injury history and he's too difficult to deal with i'm gonna rank him below all those guys i wouldn't though so let's turn now to the guys we have classified as starters. I'm actually going to move Al Farouk Aminu into the power forward group. So we really only have two guys you look at as starters. One is Harrison Barnes with that player option at age 27. Speculation that he would opt out of that and sign a longer term deal with the Kings uh, for a little bit less. If I'm Sacramento, I just, you know, fine, he picks that up. And that's what our projections for them have right now, 25.1 million that he would pick that up. It did seem like that deal was made for them to want to bring him back though uh and the kings probably value more than other teams i'm not sure if they should because i think he's better as a four than a three but again you get into the scarcity of the three around the league and he can play the three even if he's not amazing at it and then uh boy and bogdanovich uh, is the other one at at age three coming off a career year there bogdanovich is going to have offers on the table i mean he really did ramp up his role when victor oladipo went out i thought he looked good you know maybe not a playoff guy in that role but but not every team needs to have that that kind of small forward, and there's so much money around the league right now. So Bogdanovich, I think he'll get a strong offer from the Pacers. How they define their offseason is a huge question because they have all these unrestricted free agents, and so the player has a, has a voice in the process, the team does as well, and they sh- they'll be able to retain him. So I, I wonder how yeah, much... Well, well, that's interesting, by the way, though. With the Pacers, let's talk about that because he made $10.5 million this year. His cap hold is $13.7 million, and they can pay him 175 percent because he's been on the team two years early bird rights so they could pay him a contract starting at just under 18 million dollars per season uh, over four years but they could give him the eight percent raises because he's he's early bird. early bird um i mean that would be a lot of money and a lot of years for him but you could also see him having an offer that would be a higher starting annual value than what they could do holding on to that 13.7 million cap hold if they want to pay him more than that to start now you're vaporizing more cap space to do that so that's that's going to be really interesting i mean the number of years to me for him is going to be very very important agreed and i mean this at age 30 you expect that each year is going to be you know it's more likely than not that it'll be worse than the last and i mean he had a career year so you would you would kind of lean that direction anyway so does a team like sacramento to create the bogdanovich combination i mean i also think just adding a little bit more another dynamic offensive player if they want to go in that direction they absolutely could and you know brooklyn could bring him could bring him back they could go in that direction it's been a, it's been a little while since he was yeah there. i mean i think they have joe harris I, I i i don't think they're gonna do that i think they want someone with more size and athleticism on the wing i i, I think they do too me. but that's always hard to get yeah. and and so for brooklyn i mean we've, we've they've come up a couple times in this the urgency of now is is it just hard to figure out for me with them like i could see brooklyn playing the long game here and just rolling it one year but if they see the success they had this is a loaded free agent market. They have some buzz. I could see if if the best players don't say yes, I could see them dipping to about this level. And I think that's about the line for them in terms of 19 versus 20 is probably somewhere around Bojan Bodanovic. Yeah, and obviously much depends, of course, uh, on what happens to Angelo Russell uh, as well. Just because, I, I mean, I think they're they're looking at what are our books going to look like three years from now? I think that that's a question. And is this team, if you just re-sign Levert for big money and Russell, 
Bethel and one more piece where are you going with that group and what is that other piece do you want to make that piece Bogdanovich are you really or someone of that ilk is that getting you anywhere other than just a pretty similar season to what you had this year yeah you know or bottom bottom five or bottom four playoff team in the east I know it depends what their ambitions are as a franchise Trevor Ariza heads up the rotation guys and this is a very very thin group I mean this at the three which I really are defining a lot is you, you got to be able to guard your other threes the best threes have at least some idea of a chance guarding those players I mean, even Bogdanovich has been better in the last couple of years but you know that that's not he's not a stopper on the wing but most of these guys it's like okay if you put them on the best threes in the NBA they're not going to just get completely embarrassed you know so Trevor Ariza heads out that group at 33 interesting that Washington did not seek to move him there's talk that he could return there they will have full bird rights on him should they choose and just in a vacuum what do you think as a number for Ariza actually a clarification you they do not have full bird rights on Ariza they just have non-bird rights that are rich enough where they oh, should be able you're to right. pay yeah, him yeah, I, I forgot that he uh yeah I, I was thinking he got traded he's just stupid uh yeah yeah so, but but, so that, but can... still it should still be fine the primary difference there is they they can't go all the way to his max and they can only give five percent raises but i don't i don't think that difference matters really yeah, at they, all i mean case. they could start him at 18 which is yeah enough. that's plenty you would think i would think and ariza you know 33 you're getting into some of the the duration related questions here you know do, giving him more money for like two years than when you stretch it out not only because you don't know how he's going to play then but also that adds a lot of serious money on the books and so many of these teams that have real cap space aren't necessarily sitting there saying like we're going to be cheap forever you know they're going to get more expensive i'm not saying philly's an option but i think that's a good way of thinking about this like oh yeah they have other guys that are going to get more expensive too karis lavert you brought that up for brooklyn i don't see the greatest constituency for Ariza this offseason. Sacramento seems like a possibility, just depending on how they see the position. The Lakers, if they want, if, depending on how, how they see their forward, yeah. their front court rotation Supposedly working Supposedly pursued him from Phoenix when he was available. Right. So, and, and I could imagine, I could imagine that being interesting. He is an, an LA guy, went to Westchester High, also went to UCLA. And if he is willing to lower his sights down to the mid-level, then more options open up because there, there are some teams that just don't have have the spending power that would be interested in reason because small forward is such a scarce position yeah and he still provides some two-way value i mean at 33 i thought he took a step back this year to be sure did not have the touch from three a lot of the year and looked to really be lacking explosion around the basket so you never know guys guys who are at that level can just lose it and not have it anymore you know around this age but you're always going to get a chance if you've got some size and some shooting ability at the small forward position so he's clearly at the top of that rotation group and someone will likely bring him in to be a starter i i just listed him as rotation because i don't think it's going to be a long-term starter money type of, of contract but you could very easily see him at the very least getting a similar contract to last year which was one year 15 million and maybe even getting a, a second year as well maybe he gets a partial guarantee on a second year maybe it even goes to beyond that potentially or maybe it's a long contract at the mid-level for a contender but i mean but still as a rotation piece despite the fact that he's a little bit diminished you think he could help nearly any playoff team just due to his skill set james ennis has a player option worth 1.8 million that is his minimum for next year 
it would be fully guaranteed. So that is, you know, security of the money is there. But I, I hope and expect that he would get a much riffer, richer offer than that. What, why is that? I just think he's, I think he's capable defensively, not necessarily a high usage guy, but I don't think a lot of teams need that from their, from their three. To me, he, like, the, he's the type of player who it's very, it's harder to find than teams think. Travion Graham, I, I, I harped about him last year, and I, I think it's a similar argument for those two guys. And on second well, units, d- Graham, I mean, and Graham so, didn't so, get much money. Well, so, so here's the thing: like Ennis did not have m- much of a market last year. Mm-hmm. Had a disappointing year, you would say. He's 29. I think the athleticism, in particular, looks like it's uh, declined to some degree from downtown this year. 35, percent but not a very high attempt rate. Now, the, the, he has been valuable for Philly. You know, just as someone who is a stopgap and hasn't killed them yet i think he really changed that series as crazy as to say having him back against brooklyn in the first round but i don't know he seems like another one of these guys that we maybe value more than the league does i agree i don't see think he's gonna opt in but i i don't see him getting more than like maybe three million a year or four million a year or something maybe for two years it seems like the type of contract it would be and, and again we, we've talked about this too of just where is that line gonna fall with there being more money this year but so many free agents as well i agree with you i think he should be higher valued just as someone who can give you semi-competent play on both ends but you know houston who desperately needs wings just got rid of him you know they thought that daniel house and uh, austin rivers uh, were better than him so i i do think that there's and they traded him to philly but they didn't get anything for him they basically just straight up dumped him on a minimum contract anybody basically could have had him so I, i i fear that his value is a little lower i agree with you i i wish that he was was more valued around the league and i think this i think that damari carroll who is also in this group has more of a constituency also has the benefit of playing you know you can play him at the three you can play him at the four and while the old arnovitz chestnut about if you have to ask he's a four i think there is some merit to that but almost all of those guys actually play the three because there are so few threes and so you you kind of get into that best position versus optimization for value purposes carol 55% 55% true shooting each of the last two seasons with the Brooklyn Nets. And just, just a, a competent a player that you can rely on in, in your rotation defensively. And I think offensively, he brings enough to the table without taking that much away. That I just Another guy that I just really like and, and feel my instinct is that he's going to get undervalued. And part of that is the choice that Brooklyn has to make in terms of cap space versus retentions. I'm guessing that they will just shed some of these cap holds. And then that makes him really a, a free agent without much tying him to the nets themselves other than a good season yeah at age 32 uh, for carol you know clearly uh, is the second best guy in kind of this older rotation level of group so uh, i think he is gonna uh, have a market if teams are smart darius miller he's really more of a fringe guy have him in rotation just because he's been in the rotation but the problem is he didn't hit the three ball nearly as well this year as number one at at age 29 this offseason and then also just defensively just lacks the athleticism to really compete at the three he looks like a three in terms of his stature but he's not going to guard the best guys he's just too slow can't jump uh but teams are looking for a sniper at that position and then you get down into some of the fringe guys we could just go through them quickly tabo cephalosha is 35 lukaba mute is 33 and then vince carter to me is like better than some of these guys you've also got omri caspi who's really more of a four at this point hazonia glenn robinson the third who's almost certainly gonna get that team option decline he wasn't really 
really in the rotation this year for Detroit and other than that you've really just got a lot of guys who are just not really you don't even feel good about having them in your rotations why they're classified as friends so I mean and if if you want to know why a guy like James Ennis should get paid it's because of when you look at this list below I mean Hazonia Glenn Robinson and Bamute just mostly because of health I mean he had a, a completely lost season due to injury I don't trust you know, if you you yeah. pencil that person in, even if it's on a minimum contract, you don't go. Oh, our our backup three is is set. Some of them are actually better at power forward, and then they're not consistent. I mean, Mario Hazonia, I I still technically am the Archbishop of the Church of Hazonia, but twenty set twenty eight percent from three this year, fifty percent true shooting on. 21 usage now you can pull that off on that god-awful Knicks team but thinking at this point it's a lot harder to say right now oh yeah he can be a big positive part of what we're trying to do now at 23 he could eventually get there actually he just turned 24 in February he could get there but the trust for me is is the big question here whether it's health whether it's reliability actually how good they are like I think Caspi is an example there like this this group just makes me queasy yeah and and as we've seen he can get minutes in the playoffs and not kill you and the rest of this group probably can't um let's get to the restricted guys again a rather barren group kelly Oubre at 23 leads these guys off and dorian finney smith i mean those are the only guys even who are i look at as a rotation level of players Oubre is 23 finney smith is 26 finney smith we can start with first i think it seems very likely that he'll be back in dallas unlikely to me that they're going to get another three i mean he probably looks like they're starting three next year and he's got the really low cap hold so he's extremely valuable to them because they're trying to use cap space this year it just becomes a question of what that contract is going to be you know i, I think it, it ends up maybe in the five million a year range something like that is where they end up but that's you know finney smith was hitting the three ball early in the year dropped off it ended up in the very low 30s right around where he's been in his career he looked much better taking it but really just fell off and career 30 percent three-point shooter so you're kind of hoping that he can continue to build on what he did the first half of the year so perhaps the mavs try to bring someone else in but just who is that going to be there is not if they don't get one of the stars hard to say who that is Luca can't guard the three they need someone with some size in the wing remember they're supposed to like be taking the next step forward next year now with Porzingis and Luca and ascending to be a playoff team so they Finney Smith isn't an amazing option just because the shooting isn't great I think he's solid but unspectacular defensively but because he's got the low cap hold so he's basically very cheap for this year I, you know I think they try to bring him back but that seems like it's headed to the sort of five million a year type of range and then Upre is an interesting one too put up big numbers in phoenix and then he had that thumb injury that torpedoed the last few weeks of his season but also a somewhat spacey defender better on smaller players you don't really want him guarding the other team's threes just too skinny not that physical there so that's one where they traded for him in theory they'll want to bring him back but his cap hold situation is interesting as a as a restricted free agent that cap hold is 9.6 million phoenix doesn't particularly have a path to space to get a point guard unless they move on from his cap hold or go for a stretch of tyler johnson and his 19.2 million or make some kind of a trade so they're looking at 7.6 million right now with his cap hold on the books pending uh what their draft pick ends up being so there is a scenario in which maybe they just let him go and he becomes unrestricted but seems unlikely that that would happen right at the start of free agency 
and they could potentially be looking to make their own free agent or restricted free agent offer to someone like Terry Rozier or maybe like Malcolm Brogdon or something and then maybe they they pull Ubre's qualifying offer and take his cap hold uh, off the books and he could become unrestricted so I, I I he doesn't seem like someone who's going to get an offer necessarily but I also don't think he's very similar to a lot of players that they already have although better than say Josh Jackson and you know tj warren is somewhat inscrutable as well so i i do think he's a valuable player for them and he's in some ways more of an adult in the room than a lot of the guys they have on the wing so it's i'm not sure where that's going what do you feel as far as what ends up happening there in terms of them making him an offer it seems like one of those ones where it's like oh we can't let the asset go but you're not so important to us that like we're gonna move aggressively to lock you up with an offer that you're gonna like on july 1st i don't have a particularly great read on Ubre. players like him are the to me the it only takes one restricted off restricted offer type of thing where they're you know 15th pick in the draft a few years ago still only 23 years old doesn't turn 24 until partway through next season that somebody with space or maybe with the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception just goes well look at this forward market there aren't that many guys available he's younger than a lot of them and while i would probably disagree with an offer that lucrative i wouldn't be surprised to see someone make it because he could be overvalued and especially with when you have this time as the sun where he was a little bit more effective and got to play more minutes that that if you were already liked him the parallel here is kind of i don't think of him as nearly as accomplished but like harrison barnes where barnes having the success that he did on the Warriors, it strengthened the resolve of the people who liked him in the first place. And I could see Ubre getting, you know, like one offer kind of in that range. And my instinct is that that would then lead to Phoenix not matching, but just giving him a contract at around that number. And that's how I, I'm guessing this plays out. Fringe restricted free agents, Jake Lehman coming off of his third year, did actually start some games. He uh, got the Keith Bogans quite a few times, improved his three point shooting, which had been awful in his career, up to 33%. So enough where he at least had to be honored to some degree it was an efficient finisher around the basket 16 percent usage isn't terrible for the type of player that he was and he's he's got some size and athleticism well something else that's really important for layman he he had this big drum jump in effectiveness true shooting this year and a lot of that actually came from two he did shoot better from three he went yeah. from you know mid-20s on overall i mean he, over the first two years to 33 but 65 percent from two is is pretty yeah. impressive i don't yeah. know how much of that is sustainable you know you, you can see shooting 50 percent on 10 to 15 feet shooting 38 percent on long twos both of those seem a little bit rosy to me but you know he, he's he has more athleticism than you think he did a good job finishing around the rim and took a lot more of his shots there which is important and something you could see layman continuing yeah i mean layman had only played about 400 minutes in his career prior to this and we were critical of them even picking up his non-guarantee because he had just been a complete non-factor he had a really nice summer league shooting the ball and i think he established himself as an nba player with 1300 minutes this year actually started 33 games and i think a lot of what happens with him will be dependent on what happens with al Aminu in portland maybe they even would think hey he's got a small cap hold we can kind of really hold his price down and bring him back and he could be a stopgap starter for us if Aminu leaves next to harkless stanley johnson age 23 got traded to new orleans there was hope that maybe 
maybe he could break out there he did not he's just been a total struggle for him he's just never improved and in fact has almost regressed shooting the ball does have the defensive potential he is someone who will probably get a look but it, it seems like he's right around the, the minimum i would be very surprised if new orleans gives him a, a qualifying offer at this point same thing with justin anderson in atlanta who really struggled to get on the floor even with the, the many injuries that they had on the wing this year and then sam decker another one of these all of these guys maybe with the exception of layman are, are ones that we have perhaps slightly fetishized in the past as oh these guys have the potential to be a, a good player on the wing and it just has never worked out for them and yeah you know anderson is 25 maybe if his and i think also he's just he's put on some weight that great athleticism they had early in his career seems to have waned a little bit but all these guys they had some defensive potential with their size and then just haven't really been able to make the three ball consistently and maybe team they'll keep getting chances maybe as the team think all right we will be the one to teach him to shoot so i uh, you would think that these guys maybe with the exception of anderson will be in the league next year but you know on flyer minimum type of deals i wouldn't expect any of them to get qualifying offers from their team all right we done here yeah i think we are i can mention that my spurs offseason preview is up at the athletic not as much going on there as the clippers who, who came out on monday but still plenty to discuss in terms of rudy gay that's actually a negotiation that we talked about i i talked about at length there because of the unusual circumstances with his early bird rights and their flexibility relative to the luxury tax so i, I liked i like going through that exercise with them and i kind of went big picture in terms of the next couple of years of their timeline all right we are going to be off on wednesday night because we did that special saturday episode so but fear not we will talk about wednesday night's game on thursday night's episode when we will be back we'll talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.